folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 36, You're Bleeding. Before we get started, folks, my friends at Spay Memphis want to remind you that you can add one to five years to your pet's life just by having them spayed or neutered. Spay Memphis offers a high-quality, affordable option for you to have your pets spayed or neutered. So please visit spaymemphis.org for more information and to schedule your pet surgery appointment today. Also, folks, don't forget now to hit that subscribe button if you hadn't already. Be sure and peek down there in the description block. Click on that uh, link down there so you can listen to the podcast, get your copy of the book, copy of the documentary, go to my Facebook site or my website. All right, now we got all the, the housework out of the way here. I'm going to do radio transmissions. And, of course, we're going to do a little clip from Shannon Street Echoes Under a Blood Red Moon, the documentary. And we also got one statement to do, so we got a lot of work. This is, and this will be the last statement until we get to the TAC unit statements. Now, we're probably going to get around to the TAC unit going into the house probably in, oh maybe episode 39 or so. It's not going to be long. And once they go in, come back out, then we'll hear their statements and then we'll go into the investigation part. A lot of investigation to go through, a lot of material. But uh, I think you're going to like it. We'll also go over the autopsies. Obviously, I... I, I, any pictures I have of any of the bodies, I don't show them. So if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to see that. You will see the forms and documents filled out by the ME, the, the wound charts, etc. So it, it'll be interesting. You'll like it. That'll be coming up probably episode 42, 43, somewhere in there. Just depends. We've got a lot of TAC unit statements to take. You got six that went in, and then you had uh, always probably eight or ten outside that were involved that had the outside containment. So, got a lot of work ahead of us. All right, folks, enough of all that stuff. Let's uh, let's get into our little clip from the documentary, and then we'll get into tonight's work. He believed he was little Jesus, not Jesus, but little Jesus. He said he was invincible. He said he could never die again. Continuation page nine. This is the negotiator's log. Dates one twelve eighty three. Time twenty forty six. That's eight forty six p.m. Douglas reports no response. Twenty fifty five no movement or response. Twenty one hundred hours no movement or response. 2112, which is 9:12 p.m. Tape 15, 
side one on. 21-18, no response. 21-26, Shotwell believes he heard a voice in the house via boom mic. 21-30, no more movement or sound. 21-38, take 15, side two on. 21-40, Douglas takes over Bullhorn. 21.50, which is 9.50 at night, p.m., shot well on Bullhorn. 22.31, that's 10.31 p.m., stepped her on Bullhorn. 23.25, boom mic picks up sounds of panting and preaching coming from area of kitchen. 23.55, spike mic picks up voice possible Lindbergh's in living room talking apparently about or to the officer. January 13th, 1983, 0-14 hours, which is 14 minutes after midnight. Voice in living room says, you're bleeding, motherfucker. You're lying. 0-23 hours, shot well on bullhorn again. 025 hours, Lindbergh apparently trying to respond to Bullhorn, but negotiators couldn't understand him. He didn't repeat it. 027 hours, negotiators were advised to slow down their talking. It was possible people inside the house couldn't understand negotiators through the Bullhorn. Source unknown. I think that actually came from the TAC unit. 035 hours, that's 35 minutes after midnight. Some unintelligible response can be heard. Page one, tape number 32, side number two. Start 2015 hours, finish 2045 hours, that's 8.45 p.m. Date 112.83, Foxtrot 5, car to car. 515 to 542, that night scope is at the house, has moved to the subject's house. 106, 102, go to 6, 102. 501 to 500, call the negotiation at the command post. 501 to 500 or car 1060, 500 go. Call 1090 at the negotiation command post. Okay, sure will. 102, 106, go back to 6. Okay, 106. Come in, 562. Dispatcher, 562, 562. 562, can you come to the front door? Jack. 562, who was calling me? Dispatcher, 510. Do you want me at the front door where he is at? The command post, 510, we just wanted to see if you were at the right house. 102, 106, go to 6. Dispatcher, 102, he is on East Relief. Switch to 6, we will advise him. This is the statement of Sergeant Jim Kellum, Organized Crime Unit. Sergeant Kellum, January 12, 1983, 
Did you have an occasion to go to 2239 Shannon in regards to a hostage situation? Yes, I did. Explain how this came about. On January 12, 1983, at approximately 9.15 p.m., I received a call at my house from Lieutenant W.H. Thomas. He was inquiring to see if our unit still had a sensitive-type voice amplification-type microphone. He was advised that we did and that he should contact Captain John Talley at his home if they needed to check it out. I was told at this time that it might be used to help in the officer hostage situation at 2239 Shannon. Was any specific assignment given to you after arriving on the scene? Chief Inspector Fred Warner advised me they already had one microphone wired from the news service attached to the house, and he asked me if I would try to attach our microphone and amplifier to the house and monitor it. He further stated that there had been no sign of life in the house since approximately 6, 6.30 p.m. this date. He stated that it had been extremely quiet and that they were afraid that all parties in the house may be dead. After receiving these instructions, I was escorted by Lieutenant Mike Quinn to a house located on the east side of 2239 Shannon. Inside was several other officers and a device was shown to me that was used to monitor the sounds coming from the house. Officer Gallo indicated to me that he had placed the microphone for his listening device in a crack in the window located around the air-conditioned unit on the east side of the hostage house. After listening to the sounds coming from this house for a short time, I decided it would be better to try to place a mic somewhere else, possibly the other side of the house. Officer Gallo and two other tactical officers escorted me to the west side of the house, and while under the cover of the house, Officer Gallo told me that he remembered seeing a bullet hole through one of the side windows at the northwest corner of the house. It was decided to place a microphone through this hole and into the interior or front room of the house. Now, what they're talking about, that front room of the house, that would be the living room. They're talking about the northwest side of the house. After doing this, we retreated to the front room of the house immediately next door and attached the wires and amplifier and began to monitor through an earplug to see if there was any sounds coming from the hostage house. This is in parentheses. It is to be noted there is only one earplug to be used by the monitoring person. Now, I don't know who added that. That would have had to have been security squad. That's who's taking this statement. The first sounds I heard was the voice of what sounded like a male black who was talking. The voice seemed to be quite a distance from the microphone, possibly in the middle or back of the house. The subject's voice gradually grew louder and it could be recognized as a subject I'd heard on the police. Page two. Mr. Sanders continued to preach and rave in a very disoriented manner, and his voice was much louder, indicating he was close to the microphone. At this time, he made several statements that 
which I will attempt to restate to the best of my knowledge. He stated all pigs must die. All pigs were liars. That all this shit had been caused by the pigs accusing him of stealing a purse. He further stated that the police were asking for his cooperation that they wanted him to cooperate with them, and he stated at this time he was going to cooperate with them by giving back something they wanted badly, but they would not like the shape it was in when they got it back. He then directed, and it looks like there's been a handwritten change here. He then directed, it looks like, I don't know if that's supposed to be verbal abuse, Let's just go with that verbal abuse. I can't tell. There's initials by the handwritten change in, in the typewritten part of that sentence. So we'll just go with he then directed verbal abuse towards what I assume to be the police officer. He stated something to the effect that, yeah, motherfucker, you're bleeding, but I'm bleeding too. He stated that you're going to die, and all the pigs outside the house are going, to, are going to die. After this point in conversation, Mr. Sanders' voice began to sound more distant as he moved back into the interior of the house. There had been no audible response from anyone in the room in regards to remarks made by Mr. Sanders. Lieutenant Thomas was contacted by telephone. He was advised to get word to Chief Inspector Warner that we were picking up Sanders' voice from inside the house, that he was still talking very detached and incoherent. Lieutenant Thomas advised he would pass this information on and to continue to monitor any sounds and advise them of what we were hearing. Monitoring the sounds of the house had started at approximately 11.15 p.m., and after hearing Mr. Sanders in the front room and listening to him retreating to the house, we continued monitoring at approximately 11.40 p.m. Mr. Sanders returned to the area in the front room. He continued to make very loud and pronounced remarks that the police were devils and liars. At approximately this point, I picked up a second voice also in the front room, and this voice can best be described by me as being very low in sound, deep in tone, with almost a respectful attitude. At this point, I asked if any of the officers in the room with me would recognize Officer Hester's voice if they heard it. One officer stated he would know it, and the earpiece was turned over to him, and after listening for a few minutes, he stated that that is not Officer Hester's voice. He further stated that it sounded like a male black talking. This corresponded to what I already thought and about the second voice. Within a very short time, Lieutenant Thomas came to the house we were in, and approximately this time, the hostage negotiations started up again, and with the negotiator using a bullhorn and trying to talk to Sanders' subject. Mr. Sanders was responding in a detached manner to the responses he was hearing through the bullhorn. He stated the line, pigs are always wanting me to do something, he continued to mumble and ramble, stating something to the effect that everybody thought he was crazy, but that he was no fool. He knew the police were planning to throw some tear gas in on him, but that he could take care of that too. Page three. 
Mr. Sanders continued talking in a very agitated manner. And I cannot read that word. I believe it says and stated that his water was still turned on and if necessary, he could wash the gas out of his eyes. As previously stated, the subject was highly agitated at this time and a clicking sound which sounded like the cocking and uncocking of a hammer on a pistol could be heard. Subject did gradually quiet down after some heavy coughing and what sounded like he was throwing up. During this quiet session, I heard what I thought was a toilet flushing at least three times. The negotiating men began speaking on the bullhorn again and Lieutenant Thomas asked to monitor the listening device to see what type of reaction the negotiation was having on Mr. Sanders. After a few minutes of listening, Lieutenant Thomas stated Mr. Sanders was talking again and it doesn't sound good. He stated that Sanders was making reference that his father was dead, his brother was dead, and the devil was dead. Lieutenant H.J. Toussaint arrived at our house at approximately this time, and he was equipped with electronic transmitter and receiver and tape recording capabilities. We were able to hook our equipment in with Lieutenant Toussaint's equipment and still maintain good quality sound from the house. Now, Lieutenant Toussaint is the lieutenant over security squad. That's the investigators that are interviewing uh, Sergeant Kellum here, their security squad. Remember, security squad investigates all police shootings and all criminal allegations against police officers, whether they're on duty or off duty, and any criminal allegations against any city employee when they're on duty. This piece of equipment was then moved back to the hostage negotiation room at Shannon School, where the negotiators could hear the sounds coming from the house. Question, was the conversation of Lindbergh Sanders that you were monitoring being recorded? Initially, no, because we did not have recording equipment until Lieutenant Tucson arrived with his transmitter and tape recorder. Was the conversation that Lieutenant Thomas was monitoring on Lindbergh Sanders being recorded? No, because our recording equipment had not arrived. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this statement? In conclusion, I can state that I personally heard two different subjects speaking. Both these subjects were males. I never heard anyone that I could identify as Officer Hester speaking, and I felt at the time I was monitoring the two male blacks' conversation, there was a great possibility that Officer Hester was critically injured or possibly dead or dying. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode here. That's pretty, a pretty depressing um, statement. I can't even imagine having to sit there and listen to that. I guess, though, in some ways, Sergeant Kellum's lucky. He, he wasn't around to hear Bobby Hester when he was still alive screaming for help. All he's doing now is listening to Sanders talk to a dead police officer. Okay. We'll be back in a few days, and we'll do some more radio transmissions. And I'm pretty sure by episode 39 or 40, we'll 
we'll be doing the transmissions of the TAC unit going in. Now we won't hear a lot after they get in the house. They didn't communicate except amongst themselves. Anyways, I don't want to give too much away. Folks, I do appreciate y'all tuning in and helping me out here. And we will uh, get back together, continue to dig through this case. And as always, I will see you down the road.